Hi, Sean here. The recording you're about to hear was recorded live with Google Hangouts on the air. So if it's a little bit weird to listen to, that's why. Thanks for listening, and we hope you enjoy the conversation. And with that, we are live. Welcome to the Laravel Podcast, uh, episode 20. It's our second live podcast, and it's a special Christmas edition. So Merry Christmas, uh, everyone. Yay. Um, as usual, I'm joined here by Taylor Otwell and Jeffrey Way. Uh, thanks a lot for coming, guys. No problem. Thanks. Didn't know it was our 20th episode. Yeah, that's special, right? Yeah. I feel like we've that's done awesome. more than that, but I guess not. <laughs> well, it's like 20 hours of... Us talking, so it's not a significant amount. Dang, that's pretty crazy. Hours of PHP storm. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Need to have a listening marathon. Do you guys ever listen to the podcasts yourself? Like after they go up? Me neither. I edit them every time, so. Well, yeah, you do, but. I've never watched a full. Uh, I've never watched a full presentation of myself, or like listened to a full podcast of myself. Never. How do you do that? I have no idea how that would work because every single time I give a talk, I even if I'm not like sharing it with anybody, I record it so I can just mm-hmm. think, oh, I'm, I was awful here. I need to change that. I know. Maybe I'm just scared to see how awful it is. <laughs> no, yeah, I'm the same way. I think it's a personality thing. Like, you hear about how actors, a lot of actors don't watch their movies at all, and I think it's like they're just so critical of themselves that it's painful to even watch. I feel that way, too. I, uh, I asked everybody on Twitter if they had any questions, and I think that as a communal mind, they all just said Laravel 5 tells everything you <laughs> Yeah, it's actually going really well. I think um, this week, you know, I, I, for those who don't know, I am on Laravel full time now every week instead of every other week. And this week, I've just merged like a ton of uh, pull requests, and we, I think I started the week with like 150, and last night we were down to like eight left. Yeah, you're so killing it. That was pretty wild, and there was there was some long-standing pull requests that got merged too like September, October 2013 or something like that. And um, so I've been working on that a lot this week. And then um, today I've been kind of uh, just playing with Laravel 5 and, t- and testing more stuff. But really I feel like it, it feels really good and uh, ready to just work on documentation and stuff probably tomorrow. Yeah, really. So like how close do you think you are to freezing the current state of Laravel? Uh, probably pretty close. Like I did a pretty big... Um, I did a big cache. Um, I refactored how cache is set up so that you can have multiple um, kind of cache stores with the same driver, so you can have like multiple memcached caches um, at once. Because you know, as it stood in your cache config, you could only set like one driver at the top, and that was your default driver. Um, so you couldn't have two different memcached cache instances. But now you can have as many as you want, and you can mix like um, you know two memcache instances with like a elastic cache instance. I don't know. You could do whatever you want. So that's a lot more flexible. But that um, that I I did that, which was big. But I still need to come back and do um, flesh out some of the package handling stuff. But that's kind of like the last thing on my to do list. Yeah. Um, on that especially. note, so will that be pretty different from Laravel four? Because I think at this point, like no packages would work as you would expect, because it's not even alpha. But yeah, is the, it gonna um, be different? Like, are we gonna have to rewrite a bunch of stuff? You think? I don't think it will be that different. Um, the are you are you mainly talking about like the view publishing thing and? Yeah, just in general. Like I've noticed, if you try to pull in some packages, if you're using Laravel five, it of course won't work right now. Yeah, so, so some of that some of that stuff is still being fleshed out. Like that's still that I really haven't even touched that at all. Yeah, and that's really like the last thing I have to do. Um, yeah, so that I'll probably be working on that some next week, and I'll be interrupted a little bit for the holidays, but then um, probably another solid week on Laravel five, and I'll be ready to just work on documentation and stuff. So you think we're still on track for January, ish? 
Yeah, I think so. Well, I've also got to. Um, I also want to show like a uh, cashier and and socialites some love too, because I mean socialites not even documented yet or anything, and um, cashier just like, I want to fix a few things like add the um, one time charges to cashier, which has been like a long requested uh, feature request, and then also um, there's a few like little things that need to be tweaked on cashier before uh, the final release of Laravel five. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but I was still on track. I think by the end of January it should be out for sure. Sweet. There's got to be some forge changes too, like um, <coughs> you know, um, environment variables are different in Laravel five, so like the way you edit those in Forge needs to be a little bit different too. How are you going to handle the differences between Laravel four and Laravel five with Forge? As far as I know, that's the only difference I need to account for, and I'll I have to um, um. I'm going to come up with a way to kind of support both. I think I'm just going to let you edit, like, the environment files directly instead of, like, inputting a key and a value. Just give you kind of like you can do with the Nginx configuration, how you can just edit the whole file. Like, I think I'm going to make it like that because that's really the easiest way to just cover both bases of people that already have Laravel 4 apps and then people that are going to have Laravel 5 apps. So do you think the the migration path, you've mentioned this before, that it's a lot like you probably would set up a Laravel 5 application and then start porting over your content. Do you still think that that's pretty much like the best option that we're going to have? Yeah, probably. Um, I would just set up, yeah, I would just set up a fresh Laravel 5 and then pull in all your models and controllers and stuff because the underlying APIs are no different and you don't even have to name space your controllers. So, um that, that would be the easiest route, I think. Um, it would, you would have to kind of, like, bring over your config options and stuff and kind of make sure that's all synced up. But, um, you know, Blade and Views and all that is still pretty much the same. So, Yeah, I'd imagine config will be kind of a pain because they're going to have to translate all of that over. Like, for anyone who doesn't know, config is a little different now. So, like, in Laravel 4, you would have, like, specific folders for your config stuff. Like, so if... If you want different settings for cache in a testing environment, then you would create like a config slash testing folder. And then for all of the files in there is where you set your cache specific in, uh, variables for testing. Now it's all just handled through environment variables. So you would have like one cache config file rather than three or four. Yeah. So yeah, I guess that, that might be a little pain moving yeah, on. Yeah, pe- Usually the only things people have local are, are like the cache driver and maybe like the session driver or whatever. So hopefully that's not too bad, but um, that that is a little bit different. Uh, that'll probably have to be more translated over by hand. Like the database stuff, right? Like if you have a local database. Right. Like you and now we use real environment variables. Like with Laravel four, it was kind of jacked up because when you first got your install of Laravel like your local config folder was in source control, which didn't make any sense because you would never really want that local folder in source control. So now it's more set up, it's better by default because none of that's in source control by default. So, um, and we're using just like plain environment variables to handle all that stuff. So it's really a lot simpler under the hood. I mean, the config stuff under the hood is like, it used to be, I mean, it's fairly complicated, but now it's just like a little key value array store thing. It's really simple, so that's pretty nice. It's a lot faster, too. What would the workflow be like for, like, teams? Uh, if you have a number of developers who have different setups and stuff like that, how would that look? So one cool thing in about, um, well, with Laravel 5, you have one .env file that's just... Um, it kind of looks like an INI format or something, but what's cool about the dot environment library that we're using to do that is you in your code you can say these environment variables are required for this app to run. And if like someone clones down your app on your team and they don't have the right variables, it's going to say like, hey, you need this environment variable uh, before this app can run. So they can just add it to their .env file and, and they know exactly what they need to add. So that's kind of handy actually um, to have that feature. So you're leaning uh, like really heavily on the PHP.env uh, stuff. Yeah, yeah, we used that. We did, I didn't even really. We had we have um, that that tweaks it a little bit. Where if you have an environment variable equals true, it will convert it to a boolean instead of like a string true. 
So that's just kind of a <clears throat> for stuff like app debug option in your app config file. It's just kind of convenient if your app debug environment variable returns a boolean instead of a string. So that that cleaned up that kind of edge case, but. Have you kind of dogfooded some of this with Teams, or ha do you know of anybody who might have? Yeah, we I dogfooded when I, when I was at Userscape, we had a Laravel five app with this setup, and um, when I when I originally set up the the project, I just copied my local environment file and gave it to Eric and said, here, you know, here's my local environment file. You can use this and change whatever you want if your homestead is different or whatever, however you want to do it, but. Um, <clears throat> Um, what you can also do is maintain like a um, .env.example file with your project. So Laravel comes like that actually and it shows you like the default options and then you just change that to .env or copy it in your project and just modify it for what you need. So that way people can see very plainly like what variables they need to set for their environment. Okay, cool. Um, let's see. So we have some questions here. <laughs> um, somebody wants to know, and this is, a, I think, a pretty good question. What's the basic differences between Laravel 4 and Laravel 5? So it sounds like, um, you know, maybe somebody uses Laravel 4. And so we know that the environment ver uh, configuration stuff is different. We know that the folder structure is different. Um, some of the driver systems have been improved, like the caching system allows, uh, I think that the improvement to the caching system that you mentioned earlier is is really, you know, welcomed. Uh, it's a really good good change to make. Yeah. Um, um, I'll kind of go through, I have a checklist actually of things that are different. Um, <clears throat> I mean, under the hood, not much, not much has changed under the hood in the in the API, the default project structure is very obviously different and it moves away from um, the kind of Rails project structure that we had into a more kind of service provider uh, focused uh, structure and then with two kind of translation layers into your app, one being HTTP and one being your console and <clears throat> you're, you're not kind of stuck in that um, MVC box so to speak, like right out of the box we're trying to get you into like a more robust structure to start with so that as your app grows, this structure feels um, pretty natural. Like you don't really have to modify this structure, whereas a lot of people were recommending changing or, you know, deleting the models folder and all that and, and restructuring your app to make it more robust. You don't really have to do that um, if you don't want to in Laravel 5. Uh, there's also a whole like slew of new features like, um, you know, dependency injection on methods and form requests, which um, kind of work together uh, where you can do validation through your injected form request objects. Uh, there's route caching um, to, if you have like 800 routes, you can cache that into just one route router call instead of 800 router calls, which is huge. I mean, that's, um, you know, calling the router 800 times is, you know, crazy on your performance. That's a big drain on your performance. Mm. Let's see. Um, let me look through my stuff here. We have new um, your event handlers can like really easily be queued. That's kind of a new feature. Uh, so you can just like implement a, a queued event handler interface on your class-based event handlers, and they're automatically put on the queue and run in the background. You can also schedule like we have the um, the console scheduler, where in your console kernel. You can say, I want to run this artisan command hourly or nightly or every five minutes or whatever, and all of that is kept in source control so that when you deploy, you don't have to add new cron entries for your scheduled jobs. You can just have one one uh, cron entry schedule run, um, that, and then Laravel will handle calling the artisan commands when they when they need to be called. So that's, that's pretty handy. And then, of course, a yeah, uh, fly system. Fly system or file system abstraction, so you can easily interact with S3 or Rackspace or local file system or whatever. Uh, as, there's a as, lot of little things. It's as, pretty. Hard. I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, go ahead, Sean. I was going to say, as fly system changes, I know that people send pull requests and they add new drivers. Do you expect to just take support of whatever fly system uh, gains? Um, sort of. Like, I. 
some of the drivers like I saw is more valuable than others, um, and has made more sense like as as default options. Obviously, the local file system and then S3 and Rackspace are both very popular, but um, like the um, like the WebDAV driver or whatever, or like an SFTP driver, I didn't see as being all that maybe as common as the other drivers in you know a typical like SaaS application. So. Um, I haven't set up configuration for all of them, but it should be fairly easy to use whatever adapter you want. But one, I mean, one thing with Laravel 5 is just removing... It, it may feel more complicated if when you first glance at it, but a lot of it is just removing a lot of conceptual overhead so that, like, you don't have to worry about how configuration files are merged or you don't have to worry about, like, magical exception event handlers. You can just use a regular try-catch in your, in your kernel or whatever. Or you don't have to worry about four different filter signatures. You can just worry about one middleware signature. So a lot of it is really simplifying and um, and just streamlining the entire framework to remove um, a lot of stuff that was just kind of felt hacky and confusing. Do you feel like you have to use more classes? Um, this is, comes from a question that somebody asked. Do you feel like you have to use more classes to do the same thing in Laravel 5? Mm, no, I don't. Even I mean, know, I don't know where that's coming from. A lot of people are bringing that up. Like, where is it coming? What the idea that you might create a form request? I don't know for your controller. Only if only than, a, rather than yeah. doing validation directly in the controller, which most people, you know, it's fine for small stuff, but most people, for a long time in Laravel, have been using like validation services and stuff like that. So yeah. none of that is really different. We're just it's just streamlined at this point. Yeah, only a form request would be the new... That would be an extra file compared to Laravel 4. However, when I was dogfooding Laravel 5 on my most recent project uh, a week or two ago, I kind of was playing with form requests, and sometimes if it was a really simple request, like two fields, I I used the um, validate request trait that's on the base controller and just validated it right there. And then I had one request that was that was pretty complicated with quite a few fields, and I had a form request for that request that had um, some more advanced validation logic in it, and that actually worked out really well. Like, um, so like the little two field thing, I didn't really make a form request on, but for something like that was pretty big, the form request really cleaned up a lot of code and made things really readable. Um, so I don't know. No, you don't have to make more classes though. It's it's all the same really. Sometimes. I think the main thing is people get scared because they think, oh, like in Laravel 3 or 4, I could just, you know, reference the auth facade. But now the documentation is showing me some kind of uh, authenticator contract that I inject into the constructor, and it's way more complicated. But it's like, well, you can still use that auth facade if you want. This is just maybe a, a more flexible way to go about it, especially if, like, if you're testing your code makes it a lot more flexible, but that's not to say you still can't use the facades if you really like that. They're not going yeah. anywhere, right? Yeah, I wouldn't really get very caught up on the documentation at this point because I haven't worked on it in about four months. So, I mean, it's just, it hasn't been done, and um, that's not how it's going to look at the end of the day. So I wouldn't really worry about what the documentation says at this point. Did you consider changing the concept of, this, of a facade in Laravel 5? Uh, no, not seriously. I didn't really consider, um, drastically altering that because it would be, it would just be a huge, uh, break and change to really alter it too much. I, I get some bad, uh, some bad press sometimes because I talk a lot about all these, uh, patterns that actually add complexity to the presentation layer and, and layer boundaries, etc. Um, but, you know, I, I work on these apps, and so lately I, I've even been in these apps that directly do everything, you know, in the controller, and I, I found that it's... I went back to my... I almost don't even know how to do this anymore, so I, I just kind of looked at some other controllers and kind of copied over some stuff, but I was like, this is actually not, as you know, so bad if, if you don't actually have an active reason to make it more complicated. Uh, I've actually seen some code bases lately that have been incredibly let's just say abstract rich, 
And I'm, I'm wondering to myself why, why it has to be so complicated, so complicated to the point where I don't even know if I could make something in that code base and have it be right because there's like all these nested interfaces and just a crazy amount of, of abstraction. Uh, so, so kind of to get back to that question, I think Laravel 5 is still going to give you that freedom to make something that's correct for your situation. And if that is, you know, accessing Active Record in your controller or bringing in another ORM or some other persistent schema or maybe event store, event sourcing, you're still going to be able to do all of that. But I think that you're still going to be able to uh, develop apps in the way that whatever way you're used to now. Yeah, for sure. I've written stuff on Laravel 5 that was just straight facades and classic, like, I don't know. You know, it didn't really do it, use a lot of the contracts, but then I, I've written apps on Laravel 5 that had a lot of that stuff. So It's it really varies. nice to be able to have that option, though, because if you just want if, if to, you, if you know that you're just building CRUD stuff, then I, I just don't think it's it's that big of a deal. I just I think that we need to not make things complicated when they don't need to be. Yeah. There is sort of a war on CRUD. Have you guys noticed that? Like, it, I don't think it's a crazy thing to say that the majority of your typical everyday apps really are just CRUD apps. But we try to complicate them, and and like even stuff like all the talk about DDD, very cool, but that stuff is designed for very, very sophisticated apps when I think most people are just building basic CRUD apps. It's okay for things just to be CRUD. We don't always have to make them 100 times more complex than they actually are. Even though it's fun, like I'll be the first one to say, it's fun to play with this stuff. Uh, I'd love to see how many apps people are building really warrant warrant some of these um, architecture styles. Yeah, I think, I think that um, you have to be able to you have to practice something like DDD so that you're ready to be able to handle that level of complexity when you get there. If yeah. you don't, if you're not, you know, practicing ahead of time, you just won't be ready if you're dropped into it. But um, I think that what what happens is a lot of developers are out there talking about against CRUD as a default way of thinking because I think a lot of us um, kind of grew into this whole, uh, I don't know, this era that's lasted, you know, maybe around CodeIgniter, we started getting all these new tools. And before that, we were using SQL queries, and then we're like, oh, Active Record is like this, this iterative improvement on using SQL queries, right? So as we kept going... Um, I think what ended up happening is we used these CRUD mentality tools and solutions for things that were, were actually not CRUD, and then we started asking, well, why is this so difficult? Uh, why, why does all this have to be so hard? Why are we delivering so many bugs? But I, I think it's just you. in order to have the knowledge of whether or not something actually is CRUD, you have to learn a little bit about you know, each side before you can have that balance of saying, okay, this is, you know, this is clearly a crud. This is, you're just modifying data in the database. The database state is what's important and, you know, blah, 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 blah. But unless you maybe do a little bit of study, it can be hard to draw that line, don't you think? No, absolutely. Good point. So I, I think sometimes it sounds like there's a war on crud, but it, I think that it, you know, you always have people who hear stuff and uh, get really excited and evangelical, and I'm I'm guilty of this as much as anyone, uh, and it gets a little misconstrued. But I do think that uh, you're right. They're, they're, CRUD is receiving some fire right now. <laughs> yeah. Or, I mean, just active record in general. I mean, we've talked about this a few times. Like, there, I, I'm trying to think who brought it up the other day on Twitter. It might have been Frank. Just kind of doing, once again, the idea, like, Active Record pales in comparison to Data Mapper and, and using oh, Doctrine. Yeah. I, and I saw know, that, like, Frank. I feel like it's a little annoying because it it never allows for for context. It's it's we talk about this all the time. Like, well, maybe in some situations, uh, using the Data Mapper pattern is absolutely preferred. But I would say you could probably say in more situations, just something simple active record is perfectly fine. But when you use these blanket statements like this is always better than that, I don't know, I just feel like you do people a disservice because you're, you're not taking the whatever the project they're building into uh, into account. I, I, I don't know, like how do, you, how do you interpret that stuff, Taylor? I don't know. That's why I don't tweet about technical topics anymore. Like it's just like... <laughs> I, I don't know, like, 
is it's too hard to tweet that kind of stuff. Um, yeah, like you said, it comes across like without any context, and it makes people feel bad. Like it makes people feel guilty. I don't know. Like I just I don't really get into it much anymore. But yeah, like I guess that's the thing. I I am. I like using Eloquent, and I'm sort of tired of feeling like I'm a bad developer just because I think Eloquent is very cool. You know, you have, like, uh, groups of people that, I don't know, it just feels like they look down on you because you would use a tool like Eloquent. I don't, I don't really get where it comes from. Like, Taylor and I have talked about this before. When I think about the apps I've built, the bottlenecks I have usually just aren't related to that stuff. It's not, it, it's related to other, other more specific things. It's not, oh, I wish I had used a data mapper pattern here rather than, rather than just using something like Eloquent. It just doesn't come up that much for me. I don't know. I, I think Sean, so I know you've done both sides. What do you think? Yeah, I have, I've actually worked on some apps where um, I, I definitely have been bitten by using Active Record, and then I have worked on apps where, you know, using data mapper has just been allowed me to sidestep a lot of stuff, but I, I think it's less about saying, okay, let's let's stop using Active Record and let's start using Data Mapper or Doctrine or something like that. I, I don't really think that's that's the issue. I think that it's more about we think from a very persistent-oriented perspective, and, and I, I see a lot of reasons why that might be the case, but maybe we instead, if we want to think about something like an object-oriented design perspective, and then think of persistence as more of an afterthought, and then say... How are we going to handle persistence? Well, we have a lot of options. There's there's schemaless databases, no SQL. We can use Active Record as an ORM to relational databases like MySQL. We can use Doctrine in much the same way. Uh, we can use event sourcing, um, which is where you actually just record all of the major events that happen in your application, and that's really the authoritative source of of you know the state of your system. So you can play back those events through you know uh, create a projection of what the state of your application looks like and if you had a bug or something crazy happened you can change your code and then replay that those events to create a new updated uh, projection. I think I think the idea is there are many ways of persisting this data. There's many ways of thinking about how we can store this stuff and it doesn't have to just be Postgres and MySQL and Active Record and Data Mapper. I think that you know we have the option to build our apps first and then determine a, a persistence scheme, or if we know enough about what we're doing, you know, we might start figuring out the persistence scheme a little bit earlier. But I don't necessarily think it's about Active Record versus Data Mapper. I think the idea is for so many people, and and I've I've been in this situation. Active Record was the go-to because it's what you know, and if you don't dive in like really thoroughly to other options, then you may not know when Active Record might be a less than optimal solution. But I, I do think Active Record has value. I just also, you know, I worry about what it's like to use it for everything. So, another question. <laughs> Let's see, what do we have here? You guys see anything you like? Let's see. So Taylor, have you been hinting about some application on Twitter that I didn't see? Yeah, I shared a screenshot of an app I have built, and um, it's pretty much, I mean, it's more or less done. Um, I used it to dog food uh, Laravel 5, especially like the latest iterations of Laravel 5, um, but I'm not sure uh, when or if I'm going to release that. I think it's pretty cool, but um, I feel like I could use like I feel like I need like one more like killer feature on it really to like push it over the edge to like wow I, I need to use this. Um, so I'm kind of letting it sit and still thinking about it a little bit when I've got I've got this core feature set, but I want to kind of marinate on a little bit longer and see if I can kind of add one more twist to it. But it is nice to. Um, you know, it, it it's nice to be able to dog food apps like that with Laravel 5 because um, I like to kind of come up with ideas and then build them on the framework and to test, you know, how it feels to, to start a project on it and to build a project on it. And, um, you know, it's really hard to judge the framework if you don't if you do not do something like that. So we can expect with every major release of Laravel 5 there will be some <laughs> big app you built with it. Or, or yeah. Laravel, Laravel, not Laravel 5. That'd be nice, yeah. That'd be cool. Well, yesterday I had to um, 
I had to install or I set up a Hubot and gosh, I was such a pain. Like someone, I need to build like a Hubot installer for Forge because it took like an hour to get that figured out. So that gave me one app idea. The, the Laravel Hubot installer. <laughs> yeah, I know. Let's see. So um, let's see here. Feel free to ask questions in the in the Q and A app, and we can kind of see those here. Um, okay, Jeffrey, uh, somebody wants to know how many times do you expect to change the layout of Laracast in the next year? <laughs> oh, shut up. Um, this this last one, there will be a couple more changes. But here's, all right, here's the thing: I'm not a designer, so like I mostly have no idea what I'm doing. Like, all right, here's another thing. Like, the things that give me a lot of trouble in the apps I build often aren't related to the back end. It's the front end. Like, I struggle with CSS more than <laughs> I struggle with just about anything else. Yes, yeah, like, seriously. Sort of like, Taylor, what you said earlier, there should be, like, PSRs for CSS. Totally agree. It's There's so many different schools of thought, and I feel like maybe more than anything, the CSS world has changed so much every few years. Like, when I was first getting into this, we were doing table-based design, right? That's what everyone did, no problem. And then suddenly we decided, no, tables are unsemantic, we should be using divs. Okay, fine. Then they're saying, like, okay, uh, just give all of your elements IDs that correspond to what it is. So you'll have div ID equals tabs, right? Well, then we decide, oh, actually, that's a bad practice. You should be using classes. All right, so div class equals tabs. And then we decide, no, that's actually really bad because you can never reuse this styling because it's linked to a tab. So you could never use this styling elsewhere. So it just keeps getting better, definitely for the better, but it keeps changing over and over. So the best practices five years are anti-patterns today in the CSS world. So like, it just it gets overwhelming. It's, it's the hardest thing for me to keep up on, especially because I don't do it all the time. Um, Back to the question that had nothing to do with the yeah, question. Yeah, but I think that your your tangent was was really good. Does does that remind you of anything from the back end world, Jeffrey? Uh, the things you're talking about? No, no, no. It, it's it's very true. I guess it's because in the back end world, I really enjoy it. So so, for example, switching to CodeIgniter to Laravel is very different, but it's really fun for me. With CSS, it's not as fun for me. Like it's just something I have to do. Laracast doesn't have like a dedicated designer, so it's all up to me. And it's been very hard. Like, if you look at Laracast when it launched last October, it's massively different than it is today. Uh, so about a month ago, I hired a designer to help me out with some new ideas. We're about halfway through. Like, we've, we've redesigned the forum page, lots of little things. The next phase will be uh, he's going to help me out with the design of the home page, clean up some of the, um, the form thread pages. Everything's just being a lot more streamlined. So once that's done, uh, it'll stay about the same for the foreseeable future. You're like Eric Barnes in his blog. Yeah, I am like Eric. People get pissed too. Like Some people are like, it's different than it was last month. Who cares? It's not like massively different. If it was blue and now it's green, who cares? Seriously, like I'm not They're building not an Amazon here. They're just people, happy that they notice. No, people were so pissed that Laracast is green right now. Like there were these <laughs> massive I guess Laracast is getting to the point where the user base is big enough that like everyone wants to let you know their opinion. So like there's this massive thread about how people don't like the shade of green. And I didn't even pick the green. The the guy I hired picked it. I think it looks fine. But now there's like hundred hundred thread uh or 100 reply threads about the use of the color green. So that can be a little overwhelming. We'll probably change the color since everyone's pissed about that. Dude, yeah. I agree. The front end stuff is like, like when I when I work on these little projects for, with Laravel, it's like, I know, the, I know the PHP part is going to be fine, but like figuring out the front end and how to present all that and even how to code it all with CSS and stuff is just like such a pain. It is. Also, I think it's because we haven't really figured it out yet. There's all these different ideas, and I think like everyone has a little piece of the puzzle, especially when we got into the idea of like thinking in terms of modules, and then you split those modules up into their own, into your own SAS or less partials. That was a big step forward, but it still just feels like we haven't we haven't hit it just yet. So it, it's cool to think in terms of modules, but then 
like for real projects, you end up with all of this like miscellaneous CSS that you don't really know where to put it. And yeah, I, I hate thinking about it. I wish I could just pass that off to somebody else because I, I really don't enjoy it, which makes it harder for me. But yeah. That said, I think I personally think Laracast always looks good. Like every single iteration, I think it looks good. Yeah, it's always looks good. <laughs> Thank you. Um, I have a designer friend who's always trying to stay on, you know, like the cutting edge of of what's going on. And he his idea is, you know, let's think about it. Uh, these this front end styling stuff is object oriented, and he's always trying new things. And right now, he's really digging into React JS and and like Node in general. And he's just trying to think what what is it. Going, what's a better way? Like, it's, it feels like web components really make sense, but we haven't. The the pieces aren't all put together, and it really makes you think about how, in some ways, this is just really primitive. It's like we're just spaying sticks together, you know? We are. Yeah. That's the thing. Like, if we feel like the back end world moves fast, I think the front end world moves ten times as fast. It is very difficult to keep up if you're a front end developer. So I, I don't envy them at all. Like I feel like on the back end we're able to to think of you know more things like architecture where it's really fun to think how do I want to build up this space but when it's like man every 6 months there's some new javascript framework that's supposedly way better than what came before it so it's like I got into knockout years ago I thought that was great and then everyone says oh backbone's way better so we kind of switched <laughs> over to backbone and then suddenly angular comes out and ember comes out and I, it's just overwhelming it's very difficult stuff. Yeah, and now React. I don't even know anything about that. I've stopped trying to keep up at this point. I, I found this, or actually my designer friend found this amazing SlideShare link that uh, you can go through, and it basically teaches you React.js. It's just like it's it's magically good. So I'll, I'll try to find I'll try to find that link. It's amazing. Cool. Yeah. Um. Let's see. Can we? Sw- you guys want to switch uh, gears a little bit? And I have this interesting question from David Thorpe. And he says, uh, "What is you know? What are ways you can get clients to actually care about code quality uh, in in the way that you know thinking about it actually matters?" Uh, he's he's I think he's dealing with like a the business side of interacting with clients and doing work for them, and he's really uh, passionate about trying to you know improve his work. Do you guys have any thoughts on on something like that? Like, how do you make people care about the quality of the product? Can you? Is it their job? Who, who is the client in this case? Would this be? I, I have to assume it's like web agency work, right? Uh, and I have ideas about this, but I'm really interested in, in what you guys might think. So imagine, let's just say, for the sake of argument, you have a web agency and you have a client coming to you, and they want to have you and your your small team build an application. You know, I, I guess the question is, he wants to justify to them, uh, you know, well tested well-executed code base. I guess he feels like it, it's slower to build this kind of thing, at least initially. Um, so do you guys yeah, have exactly. any That would be that? the assumption. Like, I, I guess my first reaction to that would be, why do they need to care? Like, why do you need to explain that to them at all? If I'm a client, like, I don't know anything about a code base, period, let alone whether it's well-tested. So why is that something you would need to bring up to the client? I would just think, I mean, that's just part of... W- that could be your standard of what it goes in, what goes into building an app, and like you said, it's the assumption that maybe if you're testing your code somehow that that slows the process. I'm not sure that's true, but maybe maybe if you're not as well versed in testing, that might be true. I feel like most people who do it quite a bit actually end up seeing the opposite. So maybe you're a little slower off the ground, but in the long run, it actually saves you time. So yeah, my reaction is, I don't necessarily think it's the client's job to have to worry about that. That's why they're coming to you. What do you think, Taylor? We always had this big tension. I mean, I've never had it in like that client context, but for me, I'm just kind of assuming like um, my my project manager, my my boss, especially in the enterprise. I don't mean it at Userscape really. Was always the tension between like the people upstairs wanted it now, 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 and we we as developers were constantly trying to. Um, to do things to where we're going to maintain it later, obviously, because we're going to be the ones with this mess on our hands if it, if it's really rushed. And then it, our um, our project manager was kind of um, he was kind of like in between, you know, kind of like a mediator trying to balance these two forces. But um, for us, it became just like 
there were some situations that were very obvious where like the projects we didn't take the time to write them cleanly and we paid for it dearly and it was just like demonstrable that hey here we are in the situation because we didn't take the time to build this right the first time and now we have a big mess on our hands. Um, that's really my only experience with that situation was kind of like you can see from past failures, hey, let's learn from our mistakes and maybe try to build it a little better this time. So can I interrupt you there and ask you what you could have done differently to maybe have improved that situation? Is there something that you can think of that was actually a quantifiable change you could have made? I know uh, that might be asking a little too much. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I, I haven't been in that situation in a while, so I'm, I'm having a hard time really giving a great answer, I feel like. I think that I, I, I'm with Jeffrey. I, I, I don't want to talk to clients about my job. I, I don't think they have any interest in this. I don't think that... I think they actually, like, pay us so that we can make these kind of decisions. Yeah. I think that when I'm determining how I do my job, I don't really want to be asking the client how to do my job. But my job is trying to figure out what they need and to get it for them. I, I, I want to satisfy their needs and, and so I, I figure out what their needs are and then I tell them what it takes me to do that and in that in that timeline, in that budget, I have to factor in what it takes to actually do it. Not what it takes to throw a couple things together because during like a, a portion of my career um, uh, and maybe unforgivably long portion of my career the way I built apps was to sit down and I just start at the beginning and then I finish when I get to the end. And I found that that really didn't work for me. And so uh, I, you know, blow deadlines and everything like that. But, you know, lately I've been, not lately, just in the past couple of years, really rethinking project management and really rethinking how I do things. Agile methodologies really help with this kind of thing. But I don't think that the clients really need to know anything. I think it's your job to... Uh, to figure out how to make this stuff happen. And if the budget doesn't allow it, then either it can't be done or you have to find some other approach for it. But if your entire strategy uh, to meet the budget is to pile up technical debt, then you know where it's going to get you. Um, you're not going to necessarily be able to tell the client, you know, you're going to end up in a really screwed up situation here. Because l let's imagine I'm the client and I'm talking to you and you're telling me, well, I really wanted to spend more of your money because I think it will make an improvement. To me, that doesn't mean anything. I'm not really interested in you know, some arbitrary concept of what's improved or not. I, I need this thing so that I can sell or so that I can do something that directly has value to my business. So you know, maybe this is a bit of a ramble, but I really think it's our job to isolate our role and not let that spill over to the client. I don't know that if you are talking too much to your clients about how you're doing your job, that they're going to feel comfortable with you know, you running the show in that in that regard. I mean, I'm trying to think like in what other industry would that be would that be okay? I'm thinking like, do lawyers sit and talk to each other about convincing the client how important it is to do I don't know x amount of research or or whatever would be relevant to them? No, it it would never enter the equation. The only thing I could ever imagine being a factor is like Taylor said when when there's a rush put on it and they need it by this time but you actually need more time to do it correctly that I could imagine being being an issue but other than that I don't feel like it's any other business to worry about uh, how you go about building it or whether you choose to use a test framework or not it's just it's not relevant to can I kind of transition this I want to I have a question I'm interested in when when you guys are building projects like for yourself like when you're working on Laracast Jeffrey or Sean, um, you know, if you have a project that just like you're hacking on, how do how do you how do you organize your workflow? I mean, like just really practical things. Like, do you keep like a Trello board of things that you have to do, or how do, how do you do project management on your own projects? I'm sort of addicted to project management apps. Like, I went through <laughs> this phase where I used, especially at my old job. But I just use every single one. So every Mac task app I've used, every online uh, management from Basecamp to Trello to there's been like 50 over the last few years. And I've used all of them, and I end up abandoning most of them. I used Basecamp religiously when I worked at Envato. 
that's like it's really good, especially if you have tons of projects, like I like I had it in Vado. For Laracast, I just have a simple app called the Hit List for Mac, and everything goes in there in terms of like new features I want to add, any brainstorming. You know, we're fortunate because it's like it's just us building it. You know, we don't have to deal with teams of people, so I try to keep it as simple as possible these days. Okay. Nothing too complex. Do you have like a, an elaborate system, Taylor, for Forge? No, I've been on a, I've been on Wonderlist. You know, I've been through a lot of like, I wouldn't say I've been through a lot, but I've used like a Clear for Mac and iOS. You know, which is like a really basic to do app. Um, I've used Trello, and, and lately I've been on Wonderlist for the past few months, I would say. Um, and it's pretty nice. You know, it does the the usual things like syncing between your phone and your and your desktop and. Uh, so that's what I've been using, but I have a list for every, like I have a list for Laravel and a list for Laravel Forge and a list for just like personal or family stuff. So that's basically what I do too. Sean, do you have any system in place? Yeah, my my situation is a little different because I've been removing client work from my plate and um, kind of pursuing my own businesses that uh, I've been building with a, a partner of mine. And at this point in time, I'm building an app for us, and the entire idea is that. We've been doing this work, and we're learning how how to get done, how to make the business run, kind of figuring out the business model better and better over time. And I'm, I need to make this app because we have identified a few places that automation could really make a huge difference. So the way I'm doing it is I'm actually making like Gherkin feature files that describe the feature and you know specifically figure out you know what needs to be automated what the value is and from a business perspective and then I work on it with my partner and, and I pretend that he's the the, st- you know, the stakeholder and I, I work it against him as like a BDD approach and then I just keep on working those feature files until I have enough to where I feel like okay is this what we want to build does this does this give our business the value uh, that we want and then from the, those feature files I can start to do uh, you know like for example, Everzet's modeling by example, where you take the the feature and you build context and design your domain. I'm not anywhere nearly as good as, at it as he is, but at the same time, being able to say, I'm not going to work on my app. I'm not going to work on something that doesn't matter to my business. It's it's a really like changed the way I think about developing applications, where every single thing about this application is there to support the business. I feel like a lot of developers, when they they say, I want to create my own business, what they do is say, I build apps. That's, that's who I am. That's what I do. So they go build an app and then kind of hope that a business pops up uh, to, that, that it will support it. But I think that maybe, uh, I don't know, a more healthy way of looking at it is you, you figure out the business and you see how the business works, and then you figure out how to make the software kind of support your business if, you, if you're going to write software. So th- that's kind of where I am. I'm really kind of business-focused right now. I'm doing less coding and more, um, I guess, entrepreneurship, um, which is something I used to think was like freelancing and stuff was like entrepreneurship, but that's kind of more just, you know, continuing to be a like a salary developer, and it's, it's different from... Be creating actual business concepts. So I'm really into the whole BDD. I think BDD is something that you you know you can't get enough of. I th- I really think it gives helps give a perspective about why we do what we do. I mean, we go work and we build these applications and we get paid. And so in a way, there there's a trick that makes us sometimes think that our job is to make applications, make software, and that's that's how we get paid. But I really think more and more that we are we have to be experts in making automated systems, but more than that, we have to understand and learn the problems that the business is facing so that we can actually develop the solutions. If we don't take the time to learn those problems, then you know we might not be creating the right solutions. And so I think a big part of our job is just over and over again coming into a situation, uh, you know, like basically a, a, a freshly hatched chick and relearning uh, the world around us so that we can actually make an important change. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm really feature, Gherkin feature oriented now, and I do use Trello, but honestly more than, more than anything that's to, to communicate with other people I'm working with. Interesting. So what else we got? So yeah, um, I actually saw a really a good question here. Taylor, do you have any ideas so far about Laracon 2015? Yeah, I do have some ideas about it, and um, 
We've been a little slower than I like uh, getting the venue contract nailed down. But, I, I mean, I have a contract in my inbox that uh, just came in today that I need to look over. And, um, yeah, but we have, we have um, you know, we're looking at the, the June and maybe even July time range. And um, <clears throat> uh, lately we've been looking at uh, Louisville as a possible city. Um but yeah, that's that's kind of where we've been feeling out right now. So, but I'm hoping in the next, you know, it kind of stinks. That, well, I'm I'm glad the holidays are here, but I can't really do much with it probably next week because of the holidays. Um, so hopefully this week or the next day or two, I can have something wrapped up, and you know, by that first week of January, have like a, a page up with uh, to sell tickets and get speakers uh, submissions and everything. So, are you nervous about this one? Since I don't know, like you'll be handling a lot more this time around, right? Yeah. So one of the reasons, um, one of the reasons I mentioned Louisville, which I don't think it's any big secret to um, to keep or anything, is um, Indatus is there on the ground, which is a, a large uh, Laravel user. It has a lot of, um, or it has some people on the ground that can help um, scout out uh, venues and, and catering and, and stuff like that. So. That's really been a big load off of me of having somewhere, having someone that's familiar with the city and that that can check stuff out and vouch for stuff. Um, of course, makes things a lot easier for me. Um, yeah, so that's been really beneficial. I, I don't think I could do it in a city that didn't have someone on the ground to, you know, check stuff out. I really think you're right there. Um, organizing Laracon EU, uh, we draw from the wealth of knowledge that Yarun has about Amsterdam, and without that, we would just not be able to get really quality venues for a lower price that allows us to keep our ticket prices low. Uh, Jeffrey, we talked about this before, but the cost of actually renting a venue and the cost of running the conferences can be really high, especially in places like Amsterdam or New York City. Yeah. I have been told about crazy things like... Six hundred dollars for for a big thing of coffee. Like if you want to offer coffee to your guests, that's seven hundred dollars to get one of those. I don't know what they're called. Oh yeah, it's craziness. I mean, how expensive running Laracon? I, I don't know what the final numbers will be, but it will be a you know, you could buy you could buy a modest house with how much it costs to run any one of these conferences. Yeah, I don't think anybody at least in Arkansas, in Arkansas, in Arkansas house. I'm sure people are getting rich off of conferences, but not. I don't know that in our space you're you're making very much money. I, I think that we're working hard to put together a really good uh, event, and you know nobody's getting rich. <laughs> nobody's getting rich off these things. Well, what I like about Laracon is like, it, it's not the cheapest thing in the world, but it's reasonable. Like there are some of these conferences you yeah. go to, they're the same amount of time. They're two days with after parties and drinks, you know, both days, but they're like twelve hundred dollars to go to. So I, I don't know. Those I I have more of an issue with because it's like, okay, you know, so many people would love to do it, but the reality is unless you have a company that's going to pay for it, there's no chance you're going. So when you charge that much, you completely block yourself out from from probably the majority of the people who would want to go to a conference like this. So, yeah. And so one, thing one thing we've been looking at this year, which is a departure from previous years, is um, one of the venues we've been looking at is – Kind of a convention center hotel combo, you know, all in one thing, and it's still it's still right there in downtown, and by all the restaurants and bars that people are interested in. But um, we're we're wondering if it's going to give us a better socialization experience, maybe than years past, where um, you had to walk some distance to the venue, and then people were at any number of different hotels usually, and after the um, event. I feel like if we if we do this venue, we'll have a very natural place for people to hang out because there's a, a large uh, foyer and kind of uh, reception area and a coffee shop and stuff where people can kind of congregate and talk late into the night if they want to. So especially for people who are not really um, in the crowd that's going to go out at night to um, you know any kind of nightlife, I think it could be uh, a better experience this year for the, for for them especially. And one thing, one uh, one thing we're looking at with this venue is having, um, you know, we've had lunch before, but also having, you know, like breakfast set up and and stuff like that. So that's a little bit of extra cost. 
Jeffrey, I really, um, I really want to ask you this question, so I hope you don't hate me. Uh, you were on PHP Town Hall, and I think you were having a discussion about uh, the difference between like the the concept of a framework as it stands with like Laravel and Symfony versus uh, what what some of the people on PHP Town Hall kind of think is the, is the future of frameworks. Uh, do you have any strong feelings on this? Okay, so the difference between using a framework and what the people on... Are you talking about like building up a framework using various packages versus using something dedicated like Laravel or Symfony? Um, maybe. I didn't actually check the town hall, so I'm kind of reading the question here, and it seems kind of interesting. But uh, as a quick aside, have you guys ever actually built a full app out of just libraries versus using a, a framework? The most a, I have uh, built is is just small stuff. It's great for like... I'm going to build a quick little command line app, and it has a few things to do, and that's it. If the idea is like you're going to build, you know, a big app that you're going to maintain for a couple of years, and you're just going to piece together a few packages, um, I don't, I don't get what the point is. Well, I just Laravel want to say has already done it for you. So, or or Symphony, whatever you want to do, yeah. they've already pieced <laughs> together like the best of everything. So why would you do that over again yourself? I don't know. I don't. I don't understand doing that unless it's small stuff, quick stuff, little services, things like that. Uh, for anything I'm maintaining for a year, no way. I'm trying to find this question so I can answer sure. it better. It's um, it's it's kind of down there. It's like seven or eight or something. When Jeffrey was on PHP Town Hall, the whole podcast was about what Taylor should do, decoupling the components and so on. Okay. Uh, you mean this is Phil Sturgeon? Uh, this is like his. Uh, this is like Phil Sturgeon's wet dream, basically, is to decouple. He, he keeps preaching to me about like decoupling the components. One, most of them are already pretty decoupled, and you can use them by themselves anyway. And two, I decoupled the whole paginator thing, and he didn't even look at it after I did it. So, I'm mad at Phil about that right now. <laughs> you know what it is? I think it's like at the end of the day, people just want to build stuff. So you if you have someone like Phil who's really pushing for everything to be de decoupled, in theory, fantastic. I don't think anyone would really find fault in that. But the main thing is, like, at the end of the day, people are just trying to build stuff. I don't think they care that much about whether you're piecing together libraries or you're just using something like uh, Laravel or Symfony. You, your everyday developer just doesn't care that much. Um, so it's well, a very small portion. Go ahead. Here's an, here's an interesting thing, too, is... A lot of these, a lot of these quote small libraries don't handle a lot of the cases that I need them to handle. Like, I, when last time I we talked about this, I looked at like other routing libraries, and almost none of them handled subdomain wildcard routing, and I needed that feature. And so, you know, what am I going to do? I I have to use something more fleshed out with you know with with more features to handle those real world scenarios, and. A lot of times it just doesn't pan out. And yeah, it's just a big pain in the butt to, to set up everything by hand like that. It really is. Like putting it together so that it's like sane and like you're, you're building your own service provider system and your own loading system and bootstrapping. Um, I actually have been... Somebody said, some, check out these Orno components, and, and they're pretty cool in a, in a way, but when I actually started putting them together to build an app, I, I found I was missing a bunch of stuff, and it was really kind of limited. So I ended up just pulling in like Laravel routing, for example, just so that, and then the Laravel container, and then I, I ended up getting like so much more functionality, and I'm thinking, if I look at these side by side, because I want to be really critical, I, I do I do want to be critical about Laravel and, and question why I'm using it, etc. So I'm yeah. I'm trying these different things, and uh, for for me, I wasn't getting like the value that I wanted out of these libraries. So I don't know. I'm, I imagine that there are great situations where you can do this, but to me, this whole framework versus just libraries thing is kind of crazy because, for one, if people just wanted to build their apps out of just libraries, they're not going to use a framework. I mean, this is already a solved problem. They just do it. <laughs> and this is, this is how it's always been, right? Yeah. But obviously, I mean, there's like a there's a desire to have something that's cohesive and, and, and packaged and, and gives you kind of the expectations that you, you know, you might... Yeah. Sean, do you find yourself building lots of apps where you piece together multiple packages? Like you talked about pulling in Laravel routing. Well, that's what Laravel is. I mean, it yeah, really no, is it is a collection of packages. So I guess yeah. that's my perspective. Is like for most apps that I'm actually going to maintain, I don't see what the point is. What is the benefit? Okay, I can swap this paginator out for that one. 
okay, well, why would I want to do that unless it really offers something that I'm not getting? And most of the times, it's not, so I don't necessarily see the point in most cases. Most people want to build stuff and solve problems and go home and eat dinner. You know, I don't know the, the huge value in being able to, to swap out every single component for an app you're building. I see a couple things here. One, I see the, the consistent improvement that Laravel is actually going through. So you don't have to agree with everything that it does because, you know, like everybody knows, a framework, specifically Laravel and, and, and Symfony and these other uh, frameworks that are built out of, out of components, you can just stop using a component and bring in another component, and that's great. And I've done it a, a ton of times. You know, I've done that, like, plenty. But I do think that I wanted to, when building this app, I wanted to build everything myself and rethink the entire directory structure, do everything my way. Because Taylor's never going to do everything my way. Ta Taylor, you're awesome. I love you. But um, if I want to experiment on stuff, I don't think you should change all of Laravel just so I can experiment. Yeah. So, so I'm putting together these things, and I'm just trying and I'm playing. And I do. I have my own collection of components because uh, this this designer, he wanted to use Twig, so I brought in Twig instead of Blade. This, the, uh, I, I want to use Doctrine on the app because it makes a lot of sense for my app, so I brought that in. But I'm also bringing in a bunch of Laravel components, but the act, getting it all glued together is actually a significant amount of work. And I definitely think that if you're working in some huge company... Um, where you're, you know, you have a lot of talent, and the talent, and then and the needs are really high, then you can piece together your own, your own app. Just, it, you know, it's not that big of a deal. But at, you know, it is a lot of work, especially for small teams, to try to do something like that. And, um, but I really think that Laravel is growing so much. Like Laravel two, Laravel three, Laravel four. What Laravel five to me kind of represents is is the fact that we're accepting new paradigms. We're, we're seeing what developers are doing out there. We're seeing what the community is doing, and we're acknowledging it. And so Taylor is actually you know, keeping things up to, I guess, where everybody is, where he's at, where a lot of other developers are at, and kind of you know, rolling, making improvements. And I, I really think that you know, Laravel 5 is just a, a ton of improvements. It's... Uh, I, I think that's a really healthy place, and I, I think that there's always going to be a place for the framework. I really do value the framework as a concept, and so I, I really don't want the framework to go away. Especially, yeah. like, the idea of frameworks are dead. I mean, how for how many years that's have dumb. people been saying this? So no, dumb. you're not helping anybody by saying that. One thing I, li I like about Laravel is kind of what Sean mentioned, how a lot of what Laravel 5 is is simply a, a response to what the community is kind of doing. And I think that could be kind of like in contrast to where, you know, there's a big controversy with like Angular um, 2.0 recently and people, the, the the voice to me was very much that this is, this was not where we wanted to go, like as a community. So I really like the fact that um, Laravel is kind of mirroring the community in that way that and how people are wanting things to be because it makes... Um, it all feels like more of a conversation in a way in terms of how we're building these apps and less of me going up on the mountain and then bringing down like the Ten Commandments of, of app development. And it's more of, um, you know, we're all kind of deciding this together. But at the same time, like, it must be really hard when, because everything's public on GitHub, every time you want to play with an idea or just see how something feels, as soon as you push that up, you have 50 people letting you know what they've decided on that. Where it's yeah. like, can I work on this for a week, or can I think about it before you tell me that it was a bad idea? I can imagine that being incredibly frustrating. And I think I need to figure out a better flow on that. I don't know. I'm sure I could work out like a better way to like fork it into a private repository and have a, um, you know, have like a Satis uh, install where I can pull down just experiments and stuff. But part of that might be my fault, really. No, because I, I love that everything is, is open and I can view every commit, you know, 10 minutes after after you finish it. I think it's just almost a people issue. If, if people can understand, like, this isn't alpha. People are still playing around with this. You don't need to, to let people know how bad this change is when it's just an idea. It, you're, it's a work in progress. And a lot of people, I feel like, miss that point. They think as soon as it gets pushed up to GitHub, it's there forever. And, and that's clearly not the case. With I think also life. that they're going to be like a, a loud minority, maybe you know. Um, so it, they come, it comes across as being like a big, a big movement. Yeah. Really <laughs> just people being really loud. I really yeah. want to ask this question. Um, 
Taylor, um, when I was integrating components, uh, Laravel components, it didn't seem like there was documentation on those components. I know, yeah. Uh, does yeah. that have any change? Yeah, I'd like to. Um, that would actually be a really good area for someone to, um, if you if you've used the components, to pull request that because we have um, some of the more popular ones. I think obviously the database one is is pretty popular for people to pull into. Like some people pull it into Code Igniter or whatever. Um, we have documentation on that, but something like container or routing or something like that that are still fairly useful in um, a package setup. That would be nice to. That'd be a nice uh, contribution someone can make. Okay, well, there's a lot of really good questions here, but I really think that we're good for time. Um, we don't want to, you know, drag on forever. But I, I could talk to you guys for forever. So, um, is there anything you want to talk about or, or mention before we before we sign off? I feel bad. There's so many we didn't get to. They're, they're so good too, actually. Like. At first it was just, hey, what's this new Laravel 5? Now we have all these really interesting questions. Mm. I wish we could do like a quick fire, but the truth is like to answer these questions would require full conversations. I think you this really question requires that. like a consulting contract. <laughs> yeah. Um, I did push a Blackfire support out to Forge today if people want to play with that. That's kind of cool. Uh, it's a new like profiling tool thing. Cool. It's really nice to have uh, just like you hit a button and you have some profiler or something running, like New Relic type stuff, but that's yeah. what Blackfire is, is like New Relic-ish. Yeah, it's in that ballpark. Okay. So, cool. Well, um, thank you guys so much for, for showing up, and thank you everybody who's listening. I uh, really appreciate you coming and asking questions. Uh, awesome questions, so thank you so much. All right, thanks. See you. Cool. Good to talk to you guys. See you, Taylor Jeffrey.